All right, and welcome to another Caveman's Corner. That's Dr. Kroll coughing on the mic on the other hey. side right when we started. I know, just ruining everything right off the bat. Yeah, so obviously I have Dr. Kroll here today. We're going to do a educational podcast probably, or maybe it's just going to turn into a flaming hot pile of poo. <laughs> but uh, we're going to try and do something pretty entertaining. Almost every combat athlete I know has either neck pain or back pain, so we're going to get into that a little bit. This actually started on Facebook. I posted something that Dr. Kroll um, took a little issue with. <laughs> Eric Wong, one of the guys, he's a strength and conditioning coach, a flexibility coach. I'm not sure. Dr. Kroll knows what he is because he looked him up. Kinesiologist. Kinesiologist. And he posted that stretching is not the best thing when you have an injury, that you should basically do some core workout. And uh, Dr. Kroll took a little umbrage with it. So I'm going to turn it over to you and... Uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit. Let's go right into it. So, yeah, I, I just want to start out because it's always... Turn the mic so we can uh, talk into it a little bit. Yeah, oh, there, there you go. go. Yeah, That's now better. I can hear yourself, right? Hear yeah, 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 good. So one of the things about this is I want to start off by saying that I have no problem with the individual. And I think the article was written from a place of trying to help. So it wasn't... You know, when you read through the article, it's not like, here's one of the exercises you should be doing. Now go check out my YouTube channel for the rest of them or buy my DVD so it didn't seem slimy or anything like that. So I didn't have a problem with the intention of the article. I just thought that the rest of the article kind of missed a point and was almost a little irresponsible. So, you know, one of the things that they said was, um, if you look at it, he says he's a trainer that helps to eliminate pain. And I can't speak for Canadian scope of practice, but I can speak for U.S. scope of practice that, you know, personal trainers and fitness trainers doesn't matter if you have a master's degree in kinesiology or exercise science they're not at all to be treating pain in any way shape or form independently so if someone comes into a gym and, and has legitimate pain and i'm not talking onset soreness where your back hurts a little bit from last workout or your knees a little sore or whatever that they say i have low back pain i have neck pain i have hip pain you shouldn't be treating that because there's a wide variety of issues that could lead to the symptom of low back pain it's not a condition it's a symptom and he, he lists that correctly in the article he says the symptom of low back pain but there's so many things that can cause that that it's it's a little irresponsible to say oh yeah this is what we should be doing and honestly trainers should not be independently treating it if they're working with a chiropractor or a physical therapist or a physio or a physiatrist then it's fine you know a physiatrist looks at him and says okay it's not an organ issue it's not something else it's probably musculoskeletal related then cool, you can work under that direction. But the first thing you should be doing is going to a medical professional. And the first thing the trainer should be doing is sending you to a medical professional. Breaking it down, as he wrote the article, though, if you have back pain, should you avoid the static stretching like he, he was advising in that article? Static stretching isn't bad. It might be the exact right thing for certain people. So if you look at all the things, and we'll just stay with neuromusculoskeletal, meaning nervous system or bones, joints, muscles, etc., there's it could be a flexibility problem it could be a disc problem it could be a stability problem it could be a whole bunch of things so the exercises that he's got listed in there are fine there's nothing wrong with them if that's the right thing to do so i always look at stability and, and i know we've talked privately about this many times but stability has to have movement involved if you can't move you can't become stable you just become stiff so if you take a spine and it's not moving in the first place, then you go through all these stability exercises, well, you've reinforced stiffness. 
And it's one thing that drives me crazy when I, I'll see PTs walking around a clinic and they'll be like, yeah, you're doing such a good job on that plank, you know, because they're seeing four patients an hour, completely <laughs> unethical, walking around and just quickly checking people. They got some person doing a, a plank on a plinth 45 degrees and saying, oh, yeah, you're doing a great job. Your belly's not sagging. And I'm like, their belly can't sag. The spine can't move. So they are stable, which is great in that position. But then they bring that same stiffness to their golf swing, to getting in and out of a car, to reaching for something, for twisting, and it just doesn't work. So before we get into that, I want to uh, address the first part of what he was saying, that uh, the stretches just mask the pain, that mm-hmm. it's not really uh, addressing the issue, so you're more likely to get more injured. Is that true or false, or is that kind of like in between, like everything else in the article? Or? Like he, he talks about the gate control theory of pain which even the people who came up with the gate control theory of pain have sharply modified it to the neuromatrix theory. So they don't really even use the gate control theory anymore. It's got some use, but if gate control theory always worked, um, electric stim would always work. So you could put electric stim pads on your back and it would always work. So basically what the gate control theory in essence says is that the brain can only handle an input from a particular thing at a time. So there's gates that shut on and off signals coming in, and if we give you a different signal, it'll shut this other signal off, and you won't sense nociception, which is not pain, it's threat. So the problem I have with the gate control theory of pain, in essence, is pain is not an input from the body, it's an output from the brain. So, you know, stretching doesn't mask it. If stretching is exactly what you need, then it's perfect for you. It made sense to me because I remembered when we were working down in your basement mm-hmm. doing your practice and you wrapped that thing around my arm when I was having trouble lifting and it magically cured my injury with uh, whatever yeah, the, you said. Yeah, the uh, mobility wrap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, as soon as I read that article, I thought of that mobility wrap right away and I thought, oh man, maybe this is true. So then I was like, oh, this is kind of like all the stuff we talk about. So I posted it and I love Facebook because I post stuff. And my friends call me out on all the stuff that's not true, so I really like it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I can just use it as a fact check. I just post it, and I know someone that most of the people I know are really, they're very well educated in their particular fields, and mm-hmm. they take it very personally. So when I post stuff, someone's always going to post on there and let me know what their truth is. And I really like that. I'm not really, people like read my posts all the time, and they think it get real political, but I really like to be fact checked. I love it when someone comes at me, and I like to have a real debate. So I was really interested to see what you were going to say about this one. Yeah, I and mean, the only way you grow is by being challenged and having someone say, oh, I don't really think that that's true, and here's why I don't. So, yeah, stretching's not bad. There's nothing wrong with it. And, you know, kind of the thing with the mobility wrap around your arm that made your push-up magically just turn better, I can't explain why that works completely. I don't know. I have theories behind why it works, but it's almost all neurological where I just change the sensation around that area and you move better. So what I was trying to do with that instance was train your body to say, okay, it's okay to do this. I mean, cause that mobility wrap wasn't wrapped so tight that it was holding anything in place. Right. It was just wrapped pretty loose. Gave you enough sensation change where your body said, okay, I can do this now. And then when I took it off, it kind of stuck. Right. And so, I, it's not mental because I really thought it was just horse shit. I didn't think it was going to work. Right, and you're the same way with kinesio tape. <laughs> I am. You think it's BS, so it didn't it's, work. It's okay. Yeah, and in certain, and well, it worked in some it, instances. Yeah, it took the you. swelling away, but it, it doesn't like it doesn't seem to give me any stability or pain relief. No, and the kinesio tape's not going to give you stability anyway. Right. It's it's meant most of the time it's used in a 
what's called neurosensory application, which is just trying to reduce pain. Right. Yeah, I didn't feel that. But it didn't make that swelling and that lump go down, which yep, is really good. Yeah, that keloiding went away pretty yeah. quickly. I like that. So, And he uses big words, so this is a really smart podcast. <laughs> Sometimes. All right. You got a whole bunch of notes there. Is there anything else you want to get into on the back stuff before I start moving on? No. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> how, how big of a soapbox do you want me to stand on? I want to hear it. This oh, is what, I brought you in here to talk about it. So, again, I, I, I take this stuff really seriously because I, I think it's well-intentioned but irresponsible to say here's what you should be doing because there's so many things that can cause low back pain it could be a kidney it could be a gallbladder it could be a um a bladder problem it could be anything but if you say well just don't do stretching because that's the big mistake people make yeah people do make that mistake but stretching is great for some people and stability exercises again if you can't move your spine you're not going to be stable but one thing that's missing from here is there's the idea that about 80 to 90% of people with a, especially acute low back pain, which is usually short duration, they actually respond well to something called a directional preference. And that was never mentioned in this article. Now you would think that if 80 to 90% of people respond well to it, that would be something you should mention. Maybe he saves it for his DVD. <laughs> Maybe. But, <laughs> but again, directional preference is not something that a trainer should be going over anyway. So the, the break it down really simple, the basic idea of a directional preference is we can move any joint or joint region in a certain direction, which will reduce threat, reduce that threat sensation coming back to your brain and hence reduce pain or symptoms. So you're talking like physical adjustment? Not even, well, it's a self-adjustment. So it's not a chiropractor or PT manipulating you. It's you taking a joint as far as you can in one direction or another. And that's done with a assessment, a diagnostic access, assessment and directional preference is a incredibly powerful tool but again needs to be done under the guise of a medical professional i would have had far less issue with the article if at some point in there he mentioned if you have pain the first thing you should be doing is seeing a medical professional that i would have had far less issue with the article but it never mentions that and again i think it's dangerous to some degree i mean it's not like people are going to be going in there and dying all over the place but it's just not good when you have a trainer saying, oh, I can do that. I can take care of that. We can foam roll it out or we can do these stability exercises to make it go away. You should find out what's causing it first. That's when the you get those serious back injuries, right? You do all this stuff and you kind of dress it around the corners of the edge of the symptoms. And then when the problem really hits, that's when you're like, oh, I can't move. I'm right. Go see it's, the doctor. Right. Because, I mean, even any type of input to the body, whether it's stretching um, muscle activation, which is a lot of the stability stuff, activating some of the deeper muscles of the spine, any of that stuff can mask your symptoms. Because you, you contract a muscle, it's a different sensation going to your brain, it can change your symptoms. It doesn't fix the problem. It's the equivalent of mopping a floor repeatedly when you have a leaking pipe. The pipe's the problem. The floor is alerting you to the problem. And the same with low back pain. Low back pain is a symptom alerting you to a problem you have to find out what the problem is. And that problem could be coming from anywhere. It could be coming from bad footwear. It could be coming from knee issues or hip mobility issues. It could be coming from thoracic spine issues. Thoracic spines where the ribs attach to the spine. It could be coming from a lot of different places. So just to say, hey, it hurts here. We're going to do stuff that works here. That's, that's entry-level novice PT type stuff, which is garbage, honestly. <laughs> it really is garbage. garbage. It's, it's, it's the type of stuff that... 
that you do when you're trying to see four patients at the same time because it's like, okay, well, we do this. And there's a lot of reasons that these things pop up in the PT world and have stuck around for so long. And they're stuff that makes me really angry. <laughs> so before I get into the, some of the questions I have to ask you about what to do to relieve some of this pain, I'm going to advise you before you do anything, you should go see a clinical physician or a PT or somebody to tell you what's going on. Yeah, I mean, the, the people you should be seeing are either a chiropractor who's not a rack and crack, meaning they don't do the same seven, eight manipulations. Dr. Rich Brown. I'm, I don't get any pay for this plug, but I believe in him, and I've seen him, and he did a lot for me. Unfortunately, I don't go see him anymore, but i got Dr. Kroll now, so I'm better off anyways. Um, a real neuroortho PT. So one thing that drives me crazy is when someone posts online that all oh, my knees hurting or whatever. So I reach out, which I only do maybe once every six months because it ends up being the same exact outcome. <laughs> I reach out and they'll say, Oh no, no, my aunt or my uncle or my cousin's a PT. And they looked at it and I'm like, well, where do they work? Oh, Elderwood. <laughs> so you went to a geriatric inpatient rehab facility PT. That'd be like me going to a podiatrist because my, you know, my gallbladder is acting up. <laughs> My nose hurts. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> like I had a stroke. I'm going to go to a podiatrist. It's, yeah, they know something about it. But so the chiropractor, a good chiropractor, a good PT, a physiatrist would be a physician type that you can go to or an orthopedic. Awesome. So I got some questions. Oh, boy. Oftentimes on a roll, I get stacked up or I have poor lifts. I get really uh, tight in my back. And we've done some exercises for you. Show me some stretches, contracting my abs, release some of the stress on my back. Mm -hmm. What do you think are some of the best exercises, number one, to do before you train so you don't strain your back, and number two, when you feel that strain? Because obviously you go in, your back's not sore, then you do athletic movements and your back is sore. One of the things I tell people all the time with a warm-up is that a warm-up should be sort of personalized to you. So we think of warm-up, we think of getting our heart rate up and our respiratory rate up, and that's really all we care about, right? Oh, let's just get the muscles warm. I always tell people in your warm-ups, go through your entire body and do checks, just moving moving your joints all over the place. And if you feel a restriction, clean it up. So if you're moving your head and your head doesn't move as well as it should that day, clean it up. Take two minutes, clean it up. Same thing with your lumbar spine. If the lumbar spine, you go through this warm-up and you're checking, okay, can I flex it? Can I extend it? Can I rotate it? Can I bend it sideways? If something feels restricted, clean it up. And that's kind of where I start first. It's, it's not, okay, here's the exercise that you should be doing every time because that may be a waste of time. It may not be good for you. But go through a check. If your body's not moving the way it should be, clean it up. Good oh, catch. I lost my notes. Good catch. He's got, his, instead of all my regular guests bring notes on paper, Dr. Crow brought a little. I got the tablet going yeah, on. I got here. a tablet with a keyboard. With the keyboard cover. Yes. It almost turns into a laptop. You can tell your doctor because you got nice stuff. Sometimes. But he is drinking Mountain Dew. Absolutely. i got, got to stay awake. It's well past my bedtime. So I'm going to ask you another question sure. about I've been training with Mustafa, and Mustafa's really into dynamic stretching while you're warming up. Mm -hmm. So we do, like, lunges while you're warming up. And we do. I've been actually doing this in my wrestling practices, too, that I coach for the adults. And I find that at, that actually warms me up a lot better than static stretching. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're doing it as a group, you're kind of forced to stretch anyways because it's part of the warm-up. Right. How do you feel? Is there a difference between, uh, like, dynamic stretching and static stretching? In, in, in general, when I look for athletic performance, I say static stretching is fine 
but be further away from your actual athletic event. Um, when you're close to your athletic event, dynamic stretching tends to be a little bit better for just athletic performance. Neither one is inherently better than the other. But if, if you you know, if you go to a Sabres game, if you get there a half hour early, you'll see the, the players come out first and do a little shoot around, and you'll see some players taking deep stretching in the, in the side, mm-hmm. right? When they come out right before the game for their last shoot around, nobody's deep stretching. They're moving quick. They're doing a lot of different things, dynamic movements. So that's the way I look at it. When I work with you before your fights, deep stretch, mobilizations, an hour, two and a half hours sometimes before you ever get in the cage. Right. And then you do your warm up and be more dynamic closer to your event. I would never have you deep stretch right before the event. Right. I mean, my whole martial arts career, we basically just we did a quick warm up, then we static stretch, and then we trained. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still do that in a kids' class, but that's more honestly f- to show the kids the correct static stretches right. to be honest with you i want to make sure they take something out of class mm-hmm. and usually at you know when you're that age you don't really need to i mean everyone needs a stretch but they're not like getting more flexible they're already pretty darn flexible at mm-hmm. that age yeah so there, there's and the bottom line is there is no best and be willing to change when new information comes out um you know as athletic performance and the way we train for it and the way we prep for it that changes as we get more science all the time so just be willing to change with it yeah that's why i really enjoy working with you because you're pretty liberal with your sharing of the knowledge is where you're stretching me and working on me yeah i mean there's there's no there's no points for keeping it to yourself i mean i mean my goal is to make people better and if someone takes something that i do and uses it for themselves well that that's cool they're reaching a person i probably wasn't ever going to reach anyway so what do I care? Yeah, all <laughs> Just right. make people better. So back to what what are the best stretches you think for getting your lower back warmed up, stretched out, flexible? Well, again, it's it's um it depends what the problem is. So we always have to go back to that. It depends what the problem is. So I don't really like the term best stretch because if if you have no like if you have no problem reaching down touching your toes, then don't worry about doing a stretch for that. Right. And that's a check. You reach down, touch your toes, is it good? Cool. If it's not Think of all the things that could limit reaching down, touching for your toes. What's the first thing everybody thinks of when you can't touch your toes? Uh, your belly's in the way. No, <laughs> not, not your belly's in the way. <laughs> you and I don't have that problem. <laughs> stiff back, stiff lower back. Oh, uh, hamstrings actually. People oh. point to their hamstrings and they're stretching their hamstrings constantly, and that's usually a waste of time. Uh-huh. But the things that can go wrong are anything in the backside of your leg. So it could be your calf, could be your could be your plantar fascia on the bottom of your foot. Could be the hamstring, could be the glutes, could be the lower back itself, the musculature. Could be the hip not moving well. Could be the lower back not being able to bend, the lumbar spine not bending the way it's supposed to. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. It could just be a matter of it doesn't work when they're standing. But you put them um, sitting with their legs straight out in front of them, and they reach down and touch their toes, it's fine. So something was wrong between them sitting down and standing up. So again, it's just a matter of finding out what it is. And again, that's where the assessment comes into play. Um, I use a toe touch progression constantly with people, and that's where you reach down for your toes over and over again with your heels elevated and your toes elevated 10 different times each way. Nothing magical happens at 10, so if you do it 8, it's fine, or 12, it's fine. That's when I work with mostly the nervous system because it's not not making a muscle longer. It's just teaching the body that it's okay to bend that far. You don't have to turn these muscles in the back of your body on. So that's one I really use for getting the low back opened up and the back of the legs opened up but 
again, if you don't need it, if you do that check, you reach down for your toes just fine. Move on. Don't worry about it. So let me add some caveats to it. So let's say you don't have any back pain. You're feeling your normal flexible self. You can do like cobra stretch pretty well. Mm-hmm. You can bend and touch your toes pretty well. What what should you do to just make sure your back's warm and ready to go? Yeah, I like at one hundred percent. I would just pick the motions and just go through them. So the toe touch, the cobra, um, a supine twist where you're laying on your back. You send one leg across. Just make sure that same side shoulder stays down. Now you're getting flexion, extension, and rotation, and you're just opening them up. Right. So they're not meant to treat anything. It's just make sure that these are opened up and working the way they're supposed to. Right, because I'm just trying to, you know, most of you that listen are probably combat athletes, or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just looking for them to have good stretches when they're feeling healthy, not, like, to repair right. some, some And that, that's the thing. When you're feeling healthy, then you got to find the cocktail that kind of works for you. Right. Because some people just have low backs that just keep getting stiff on them. And they've gone to see a medical professional several times, and it hasn't fixed it. So it's one of some of those one of those things where you have to live with it. So then you find a cocktail that works for you. Some people really like the supine twist. Some people need stability, like the the guy in the article said. Right. So let's talk about normal people. <laughs> okay. Work. Work is probably the leading cause of lower back pain. What should people do? What's the optimal work position to be in for eight hours a day? <laughs> I heard a line from a colleague of mine, Dr. Urson Religioso, so I'll give him a shout-out with this one. Uh, I don't know where he got it from. He may have come up with it, but he was the first place I heard it, so he gets the props. He said the best position is the next position. So what that means is don't stay in one place too long. Um, if you are standing in one spot, you're not going to feel great. doesn't matter who you are. If you're sitting for too long, you're not going to feel great. I always use the example with people that if you were to get in a car and drive to Cleveland nonstop, nobody ever gets out of the car after about three hours and says, man, that's just what I needed. <laughs> nobody. Everybody's stiff. Mm-hmm. And then they start walking, they start changing position, and within a few steps they're fine. So, yeah, the big thing at work is keep changing positions. Keep moving around. Keep, keep Don't let the body stay in the same place for too long. Do you listen to uh, Ben Greenfield at all? I do not. He had a great podcast with Joe Rogan. You might be interested in listening to this one. He talked about, uh, I'm asking this for my fans, but I listened to a great thing. Uh, he talked about, he's like, the best position you can ever be in at work is the one that you're not in now. So uh, at his work, he's got Same like a, yep. a desk where he can stand. He's got a ball he can sit on. Mm-hmm. So he's doing multiple things all day long. Yep. And uh, he's kind of a weirdo. So he's got like a sun lamp for his balls and stuff like uh. <laughs> to create testosterone. And he does that work. I'm like, man, I don't know where he works, but. Sounds like a cool place. He's got a treadmill underneath his desk. Like he's got all kinds of stuff all hooked maybe, up. Maybe maybe it's Google. Google's yeah. pretty yeah. friendly with that stuff. But yeah, the the idea is the same. Mm-hmm. Just keep changing your position. It's not that okay, we have to get a better ergonomic chair. It's that we shouldn't be in our chair for very long. Right. Get up, move around, and yeah, if you can get a a stand desk where you can knock lift it up and knock it back down, that's great. Because if you stand too long, you get the same type of problems. You get stiff. I can so. I can vouch for that. I don't sit all day long. I stand all day long. My back stiff every day. Yeah. So changing positions and and I'm even doing your stretches every day. I try and do them every couple hours when I can. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where when I give things to patients and clients, I I have to ask them, you know, what are the type of things that you do throughout the day? Because there's some people that have these work demands and postural demands of life that they're not good for them. Right. But you know, it's not reasonable for me to say as a clinician, yeah, quit your job. <laughs> that doesn't fly. Some people say that. Right. And some people are absurd. They're like, oh, you run 20 miles a week. Well, maybe you shouldn't run. Well, 
<laughs> this person's addicted to running. They're not going to stop. So you have to kind of work with them to try to, you know, what can you do to get them through their activity better? And now if you truly believe they shouldn't do it, then you need to be a responsible clinician and say, you shouldn't do this. Right. You know, the risk of your serious injury is skyrocketing. And if they fire you, then they fire you. So what? You sleep well at night. But yeah, it's it's really, really important to keep changing position, keep moving around, and be honest with your people as to what you need to do. But be reasonable at the same time. When you're having back issues, when's the time to go see a medical professional? At what point? Um, if it's persistent. You know, there's really not much you can do to change it. Um, you're taking ibuprofen. The I think the guideline by physicians is 10 days. If you're taking ibuprofen for 10 days, you should stop and see a medical professional because there's side effects to ibuprofen. But, yeah, if, if you're taking ibuprofen for the same thing for over a week, yeah, you, there's probably a problem. Or if you're trying to address it and it's not going away, yeah, because we every everybody gets an ache and a pain. I mean, you don't need to go to your physician or PT every single time something hurts. I have had a patient or a client or two like that that, <laughs> you know, tell me, hey, this hurt two weeks ago. Does it hurt now? No. What do you want me to do about it? I mean... You know, it was a random ache and a pain that happens, but something that's persistent, something that's changing your functionality, changing your way of life, then, yeah, it's a good idea to see the professional. And it's better to see them early than later. You know, some people are like, oh, I'll wait till it's really bad. I mean, it's not really that bad. So, well, why wait until it gets really bad? So 10 days, even if it's just minor but persistent, go see somebody? Yeah, because and, and, it's a lot easier to fix at that point. If you wait seven months, now it's uh, closer to a chronic condition, and it's much harder to fix. So usually when I go to the doctor, I already know what's wrong. And uh, I would probably, if I knew I had lower back pain, I'd probably want to see a sports expert. Mm -hmm. So what would you recommend? Like just skip the doctor and maybe go see a PT? Well, you can see a PT direct access. So what you're really looking for, the the PTs that are direct access, the ones you want to see are the cash-based ones. And I'm not propping up my brand those are just the ones that are going to spend the time with you those are the ones that are working with people that are also athletes or you know taking their time and really getting to the bottom of it Um, they're going to work with you a lot better and their subsequent sessions are going to be independent as well so one of the things that happens with a a high volume clinic is you see the pt one-on-one the first time but they know darn well they can't treat you a certain way when you get in the general population, I make it sound like prison. But <laughs> when they throw you in gen pop, you're, you're being seen four patients to one PT. So they know they can't spend the time with you. So they have to tailor their program a certain way, an unethical way that doesn't do patients any good. So you really want to look for a cash-based PT. And, you know, I'll just give you some names of some people. There's myself, Dr. Kroll, PT. Um, Chris Nentars is another PT in the area. And Walter Brown's in our PT. They're all cash-based. That I'll link Dr. Kroll's here because he works on me, and I can uh, vouch for him. I don't know the other guys. I know Dr. Kroll talks about them and gives them props all the time, so I'm sure they're good. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll link Dr. Kroll's in here, and he's not paying me to do this. And uh, to be honest with you, I should probably pay him more than I pay him. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> it's good to have him in here, and he's coming in to do the podcast for free. And uh, I have a lot of these questions because a lot of the guys are having some back pains and definitely some neck pains, which we haven't gotten into, but we will. And I want to talk about some bullshit stuff. Oh, too. At the very end? Yeah, at the very end. We'll, we'll save that for the end. We'll save it to the end so you can cut out if, if you're only here for the medical stuff. Yeah. <laughs> 
go see a PT if, if your back's hurting. You can skip the doctor because the doctor's just going to send you for PT anyways. So unless well, not, not always. Some of the physicians are really good. Um, I don't want to throw them all into a bad boat, but you go ahead. And uh, what about seeing a chiropractor? Chiropractor's fine, too, as, as long as you find a good one. Right. So you have um, Dr. Brown, you said. Yeah, Dr. So Rich can, Brown. I you can vouch for him. I can vouch for him. He's really good. He's really strong. He can do the, all the manipulations you need, and he's willing to work with you. He's not going to be like, oh, just come back. He's like, work on this stuff. This right. will help you get stronger. And that's what you're really looking for in a chiropractor. You don't want someone that just cracks you up because... It's only going to last for like 10 minutes. You're going to leave and it's going to come yeah, back and they, you're going to feel it. They, they open a, a window for you to move better and have less issue, less symptoms, but that window closes over time. If they're not giving you something to reinforce what they did, it's not going to remain better in many cases. Even if your symptoms go away, they are more likely to rebound than if you have some sort of activity. It'd be, like, it'd be the equivalent of going to a dental hygienist, having them clean your teeth, and then you just not brushing, flossing, or using mouthwash or anything for the next six months. I mean, yeah. and just popping in breath mint so your breath isn't terrible. I mean, you have to maintain it on your own. And the same thing with our bodies. And why our bodies aren't treated the same way as our teeth is absurd to me. I mean, you're active every day. I'm active every day, and I take care of my body every day. And we do it with our teeth. Why don't we do it with our bodies? People like to be fat and lazy. Not everyone brushes their teeth every day either. Probably. Not everyone brushes their teeth either. And look what happens. <laughs> yeah. Look what happens. Their teeth turn into a mess. And usually they don't work out so much either. Yeah. Usually poor, uh, poor self-care habits are interlinked. <laughs> so what about acupuncture? It's just another tool in trade. Yeah. Um, you want to go see an acupuncturist <laughs> if you're not sure what the problem was? Um, I, I can't really speak to how well an acupuncturist diagnostic ability is. I don't know enough about the profession their training and to know what their diagnostic ability is. So to say they have good diagnostic ability or bad, I don't know. But it's a lot of people get benefit from acupuncture. It's it's a fine tool. Um, New York State is actually one of four or five states that don't allow PTs to do something called dry needling, which is where we can actually needle a trigger point or a certain area, but they don't allow us to do it. So, But it's a really powerful tool. Every time I go to a conference or a seminar out of state, People are like, oh, yeah, I'd throw a needle in there, and I'm sitting over in the corner all sad that I can't do it. So it's not bullshit, then? <clears throat> no. It, it's, it's way too much anecdotal evidence for it to be BS. And anecdotal evidence is still evidence. Mm -hmm. So people are like, oh, there's no research studies. There's no evidence. That's not true. You have millions of people that get better with acupuncture. So that's evidence <laughs> to some degree. Right. It's well, just not a structured research study. What about cupping? To get blood flowing to the back. I heard about that, too. Yeah, cupping is, again, just any other type of quick treatment, like uh, when I rub that metal tool on you. Right. I'll do that. A kinesio tape, uh, hands-on treatment where I'll do a manipulation, uh, cupping. They're all in the same family. Where they're, I really think they're mostly changing the nervous system input to the area. So cupping does provide some level of bruising. So, yes, you are changing blood flow to the area, but I don't know if it's having the effects that they say they are. One of the interesting things about medical treatments is, and this is where people get defensive, is that a medical treatment will work, but not for the reason you think it does. So you'll be doing something and you'll have a reason why it works. Yeah, it's working because it's, you're getting blood flow to the area, or this is working because we're breaking up scar tissue. Five years later, research studies will come out that show that that's not what's happening. And people are like, well, I made people better. It's not what the study says. 
The studies just saying that we're not increasing blood flow significantly or we're not breaking up scar tissue. It didn't say your treatment doesn't work. Right. So, yeah, we have theories as to why these things work, but we don't really know. Almost every treatment I do, I don't know exactly why it works. And that makes me sound like a charlatan. <laughs> but it makes you sound honest. I, I honestly respect that. Yeah, it's just here's my theory as to why it works. And there's a placebo effect to every treatment. Everyone. doesn't matter what it is. Every treatment's got placebo. I don't know. I don't think the tape does because I don't believe in it. That's part of it, too. <laughs> um, it, patient, if patients don't believe something's going to work, their results go down because placebo effect goes away to some degree. All right. Let's get into the neck. Okay. Now, this is a problem I have all the time and a lot of people do. For me, when I jam my neck, I get my hands get tingly and go numb. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a very common uh, problem among combat athletes, especially guys that get dumped on their head a lot, mm-hmm. uh, sore neck, lack of range of motion. What should we be doing to address all this stuff? Besides we're seeing a medical professional, <laughs> which should be a, your first thing that you do all the time. Yeah, so the, the big thing in the uh, the neck is honestly putting it in the right position. So both of us right now are not sitting with great neck position. I mean, my, I, my head's leaning forward into the microphone. So what happens when your head is forward I'm going to get a little technical here, so you can throw something at me if I get overly technical. <laughs> the lower part of your cervical spine, so maybe the lower three to four vertebra, are actually in what's called a flexion position. They're bending forward. But you need to keep your eyes on the horizon so your upper cervical spine will extend. So now you get this change in the curve of your neck that's unnatural, which will eventually put some pressure on the nerves heading in and out of the spine and those nerves heading in and out of the spine go all the way down the arm <laughs> there goes the dog the dog interrupts every podcast <laughs> we'll wait we'll wait till tripper is finished <laughs> take your time <laughs> he's old he's had our time getting out the door <laughs> so yeah everything that goes in and out of the arm so all your motor skills which are moving your muscles all your sensory input meaning everything coming from the hands, the arms, whether it's a sensation of hot, cold, touch, or whatever, all goes into your neck and upper thoracic spine. So if your neck is in a bad position and then you get dumped on it or you get a axial load, which means a load through the top of the head, then it's going to compress those even more, which is going to lead to that tingling. So the, one of the best things I tell people to do is get your head into the right position. So again, this leads to that directional preference that I talked about most people respond really well to what's called cervical retraction where they draw their head straight back almost like someone's coming up to kiss you and you don't want them to you draw your head straight back and then what happens is that will change the curvatures of the spine and put them in the right place so usually it's just a matter that our heads are not in the right position and then that over time that changes muscle tone around the neck and just makes us more susceptible to these problems so if you're feeling that tingling, should you take time off? Should you? If it's a quick burst, then, you know, you, you probably just got shocked and, you know, it is what it is. But, I mean, if you go to a medical professional and say, hey, I had tingling three weeks ago and now I don't. I mean, they'll still try to put your head in the proper alignment, but they really can't test a directional preference as well as they sh- as they should be able to. So... Um, if it's persistent or if it happens more easily, then yes, that's a symptom. Just like pain is a symptom, a change in sensation or tingling, numbness, burning, anything in your upper or lower extremity is a symptom that if it's persistent or getting more and more serious, then yeah, you should be going to see someone. 
What about when your uh, one arm is weaker than your other arm? That happens a lot too. Well, if if it's just inherently weaker, I mean, we expect about a ten percent weakness from dominant side to non-dominant side. But if it's market where you're gripping something and like you're at work, you're trying to hold something and it's not as strong in one hand. Well, again, all the motor information <laughs> trippers back again. All the motor information going out to the arm comes from the neck as well. So any problem that you ever have in the arm, you have to start at the neck. Your, your treatment has to start there. And if you don't, well, you're going to miss something, most likely. Right. That's an injury that a lot of people I have, or I know have. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, uh, like Dot just hurt his arm the other day. He got slammed on his head and had to pull out of his fight just because his neck was his neck, his arm was, were bothering him so much all the time. And uh, he was the one that came up, asked me to uh, see if I could work with him in a corner room for the next fight. So he's better a couple weeks later, but good. just need to take some time off. Yeah, and you know that that time off actually will decrease when you do go see someone that can take care of it for you and give you the right things to do. Right, my pinkies were tingling for almost a whole year. My pinkies and my fingers when we first started working and you had me doing all those exercises mm-hmm. definitely helped out a lot. Yeah, and what we found with your case was you didn't respond, or that didn't respond to the head movements so i had to work further down but for me just to say oh your pinky's problem it's a problem with your ulnar nerve which would in layman's terms is the funny bone but you gotta start in the neck right and because if you don't you're gonna miss something i had a patient one time when i was working at a a a, um, clinic that he had bilateral carpal tunnel surgery meaning he had it on both hands and it was ineffective so i was seeing him for neck pain was his primary symptom and I laid him down and I pulled on his head, which in essence is trying to separate all the space between the vertebra and your neck. It doesn't really do it as well as we think, but that was the plan. I'm like, how are you feeling with this? He goes, well, my hands aren't tingling anymore. <laughs> he was really unhappy. Not with me. He was ha- he was fine with me, uh-huh. but he was upset that no physician caught this, that the problem was in his neck and not his carpal tunnel. And yeah. And that happens. There's unnecessary surgeries and unnecessary EMGs being done when basic, basic rehabilitation and orthopedic knowledge is check the neck for anything down the arms, check the lumbar and sacral area for anything down the legs. It's basic. Just to get off topic and the conspiracy theorists to me is about to come out. Uh-oh. Do you think... Tinfoil uh, hat? Yeah, tinfoil hat time. Do you think uh, a lot of that diagnosis just comes down to insurance? Like, this is the insurance mechanism for, oh, you got neck pain? Here's our insurance you know what we have to do for the insurance here's what we can get paid for uh you got this so we're gonna get paid for this i don't think so that's that's overly malicious um i think people do get coerced by what insurance will reimburse but um one of the things i heard one time was if you give someone a hammer everything becomes a nail so if you go to see a neurosurgeon well the tool in their toolbox is neurosurgery if you go to see someone who has an EMG machine at their clinic, well, they're going to do EMGs. So if you come in saying, I have tingling in my hands, they're going to do um, neural testing, neural um, conduction testing in your arm because that's what their tool is. Um, I won't do it because I don't have that tool. <laughs> so <laughs> it's my tool is conservative care physical therapy. So that's what I go with. Um, but it's a little different for me because I don't take insurance. But, yeah, if, if you – if and that's one of the problems when with the direct access why so many um, physicians have fought direct access with pts is that patients will go to see a specialist physician 
and they'll say, oh, I'm going to go see, you know, this person who deals with carpal tunnel. Well, what do you think that person's going to tell you? It's carpal tunnel. It's not because, hey, I got another customer in the door. I'm going to do another surgery. It's they found signs and symptoms consistent with carpal tunnel and they're going to do the surgery. They're not trained. Well, they're not specialists in looking at the neck and looking at the rest of the body. So their scope is at the wrist. Man, we're fucked until we get the machine that you can go in and it tells you exactly what's wrong like a car. <laughs> it doesn't work that way because there's people that have all sorts of pain. You put them in an MRI, there's nothing wrong with them. No, like a like how the car diagnostic, you plug you in. You just plug it in? Yeah, this is, we got to get into the future where we can read every signal through the body and just plug it into the machine and tell you well, what's wrong. Both of us will be long dead before yeah, that happens. Jesus Christ. It's, not, it's scary. Like When you talk about it, it makes it even scarier than when we normally talk about it. Yeah, why is that? I don't know. I just was in my head. I was like, so I'm gonna go see someone that already has a you know prognosed diagnosis of me, just basically on their area of expertise or what they're looking at. Yeah, and 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 that's a real problem. And and this is my one of my huge issues with PTs that I saw a PT one time who will go unnamed, and I was watching this person. They had someone coming in for, I don't remember what it was. Let's just say it was a shoulder issue. The person starts taking their exercise card. They haven't seen this patient yet at all. They didn't know this person at all. And they started writing down exercises. And they started writing down the first progression, started writing down the second progression before they ever saw the patient. And I'm looking at it. And if I was a student, I would have thought, wow, how good is this PT? They know exactly what to do. But I'm looking at it as someone who gets pissed off by this stuff and saying, why are you even seeing this person? Why is this person coming in? If you know exactly what you're going to do before you even saw them, then that should be in an app and they shouldn't even be coming here. I mean, that app should be developed and you're going to be out of a job. So it really pisses me off when people have their treatment already figured out before the patient even comes in i always i do this with the ub students when i go in and teach uh, a couple different seminars for the <laughs> i remember you brought students. me in that was a bad yeah. i didn't mean to talk over <laughs> no, that's okay. funny <laughs> so I, i'll ask the students you know what, what are good treatments for plantar fasciitis is one of the ones i pull out because people come up with the same four or five exercises they're like um you know ice ice bottle under the foot a strassman sock which will pull the foot into dorsiflexion which is basically pulling your toes back um, I know that because I teach in <laughs> right. class now. <laughs> I mean, flex. it sounds smart. Uh, three-way calf stretch, a great toe extension, um, and maybe even some posterior chain hamstring stretching. I'm like, okay, so is that a good program? Yes. I'm like, would you give that to people with plantar fasciitis? Yes. Like, okay, now be honest. When you're on your clinicals, because at that point I've already done three clinicals, did you ever do that to a patient and have it all set up before you even saw them? And I get like people looking down, people <laughs> not wanting to answer. And I'm like, yeah, so what was the point of seeing the patient? Just give them a video of what to do. Put it on a website and put yourself out of business. Yeah. Do your job. Do your job. I like, <laughs> I like when you brought me in. You're like, so this guy's got all these problems. How old do you think he is? <laughs> right. And, you know, if a person has all these problems, you know, what do you do? And they're like, um, they're thinking to themselves, you can't do anything because this guy's had all these injuries. I'm like, no, you treat him like a human being. Yeah. Like and you that. see what the person can do. Don't assume they can do or can't do anything. I mean, I have, I have people. I, I have a woman who's 92 years old, and she crawls on the floor. You're like, oh my god, people who are 90 shouldn't be on the floor. No, they, you don't want them to fall and hit the floor. But if you never teach them how to get up and down off the floor and how to maneuver on it, then 
when I was a student, I was down at a nursing facility in Florida, and because I I was a student, I had no capital. I, I lost this fight. I would put the inpatients on the floor, and an inpatient resident on a floor in a nursing facility, it's it's like people go berserk about it. <laughs> people go crazy, like oh my god, this person's on the floor. Like, there's no better place to be on the floor than with your PT. But I lost. Yeah. I'm like. These people, sh- these people are going to be going back to their private residences on the peninsula. Let them learn how to get off the floor if they ever get there. But, yeah, it's a matter of just doing your job. What do you think about spinal decompression, getting back to the spine? It, it's, it's traction. It's a reasonable tool. Sometimes it helps people. Sometimes it doesn't. The one thing I don't really like about traction is it, there's nowhere to go from there. You can't really replicate it unless you buy a portable traction machine, which you can do. They're a couple hundred bucks. But I always look at spinal decompression and traction as sort of a last resort for people before you do anything invasive. Right. Because uh, Joe Rogan's going to talk about it a lot. He's got one and he hangs on the door frame and like, pulls his neck up or something. That's an old school one. You usually fill yeah. the water bag with, with a certain amount and it'll translate to a certain weight. Um, If you find that that's really effective for you, because if, you, if you're someone like Joe Rogan who is really active and probably getting pushed on his head quite a bit spinal decompression may be a great tool for him and if he can set up a way to do that at home great as long as it's safe doing it yeah you think it's good for fighters to try out i mean, i always hear commercials for it so it like if you had the symptoms that it would fix yes yeah but if not then there's you know it's just another treatment that's all it is so your neck's a pretty important part when your neck is injured what kind of in what kind of symptoms should you go see a doctor for when you actually are feeling um, if, if you injure your neck and you're getting any change down the arm, you want to go see a physician. The longer, or a physician, chiropractor, PT, any medical professional that can treat it. Even if it's like a, like a quick stinger and it's gone in like 15 uh, minutes or so? Yeah, if, if it goes away, then it goes away and now you just monitor it. But if you have prolonged symptoms like that, you, because that's usually leading or indicative of nerve compression. The longer a nerve is pressed on and compressed or irritated to the point where it's sending a false signal the harder it is to take care of. Is that so. when you get Militich arm where your one arm's all jacked and your other arm's like atrophied? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <Or> boss rooting? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe they just lifted one side. Yeah, they both had like the neck problems and the, their arm like degenerated on the one side. Yeah, you can get that. I, I've had people that have degenerated certain areas like a tricep where it's just not as hypertrophied as the other side and that's, as long as it's functional, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's you know, crazy. It looks but, retarded. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> my, the people don't like it, but it's, again, it's it's what level of function do you have to get to? Right. You know, if you're a bodybuilder and your level of function is I have to have sym- symmetry, okay, that's a different story. But if you're just going through your day-to-day work life, then... It's crazy because my weak side looks better than my strong side. <laughs> not very symmetrical at all. No, you're not. That's because this one's got fixed. The That's right. repair bicep has got like a perfect curve to mm-hmm. it. I like it. I want to cut the other one off and get it <laughs> so I look good. The, the, way, the, 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 way you, the way you go, you'll probably injure it. So. <laughs> oh, all right. So we got through the neck. We got through the back. Let's talk about some other stuff. Okay. Started CBD oil. Okay. And uh, I'm not really sure I'm feeling too much from it, to be honest with you. Yeah. What do you think about CBD oil? CBD oil, I put that and I lump it in the same category as every other supplement. Um, they're not regulated by the FDA and... The FDA's got its own problems, but we're not going to get into that. Um, so what that means is there's usually a certain inaccuracy with what's actually in the bottle. So there's a certain percentage of what you're taking that you don't know what it is. Now, 
I'm really not a big fan of taking something that I don't know what it is. So I wouldn't do it. I don't take supplements for that reason. Um, and the other problem too is that when the, these supplements hit the market, they don't have to go through the same clinical trials that pharmaceuticals have to go through. Pharmaceuticals have to go through lengthy clinical trials, which is one of the reasons they're so expensive. People think it's just greed. It's not. It's a massive process to get these things out. But supplements don't have to go through that. So who do you think is the research study for this? The people who are taking it. So what they found out, I don't know if you remember um, the supplement Ephedra. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, like Ephedra. That was in the late 1990s and early 2000s. Well, it, it accounted for, I don't know how many percentage of the deaths, but it was somewhere around 90% of deaths related to supplements. <laughs> Oops. I took that. I took a lot of Ephedra. Yeah, people were like, oh, maybe we shouldn't take this. Well, how did we find out you shouldn't take it? Because... It was a great fat burner. It worked the, really, really the, good. The human guinea pigs took it. You, because, may, you may die taking it, but it look, makes you look good. Yeah, you're going to look great in the coffin. Yeah. And you know, I, I think that's one of the things I always get a little nervous with the supplements about because I mean, the people can write anything they want on the bottle. And when I see stuff for CBD oil, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at things and, boy, this thing is great. It cures everything. And it's carrying things in, in different types of super categories that aren't even related. It's like, oh, it's great for anxiety and depression. Okay, those are related. It's great for plantar fasciitis. Oh, wait, wait, hold on a second here. What? Um, cures cancer. It does this. And they can say anything they want. Those statements aren't backed by the FDA. They're not backed by research. So um, how harmful is it? I don't know if it's going to be harmful at all. It's probably fine. But... We don't know, and the people who are taking it are going to find out for us. Anecdotally, I've been on it for about two and a half weeks now. I told you about it last time I was at your house. I started the day before then. I didn't really feel too much. Mm-hmm. I was off all pretty much last week with the snow, and uh, I trained this week, and I haven't had that pain in my arm at all since I started taking it, but I haven't been training either. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to tell if it's affected that at all. Yeah, how many variables are there? Right. You know, you, you can't... You can't the knee pain that I started to take it for, which I've been feeling the whole time, I haven't felt any difference in. Mm-hmm. The only benefit I would say I have is I have been, I feel like I've been sleeping better. Uh, I don't actually get enough sleep ever. Right. And uh, I've actually dreamed almost every night that I've been taking a CBD oil and I feel a little bit more rested when I wake up. So I don't know if that's an actual effect of it or. Yeah, we, we don't know. Yeah. Because again, there's no research studies to to really show exactly what it does and what its effect on the body is. And, you know, I, I know there's some side effect issues with uh, Coumadin in the body thinning the blood, um, but I'm not, I, I would be lying if I said I'm well-versed on what all these side effects are. But again, it's, I don't think it's the CBD oil that's the problem. It's the 2 to 5% of mystery meat that you're getting in, <laughs> in the, like, like I said, like I told you earlier, it's like a hot dog. Right, you don't know what this is, so I mean they they find all sorts of stuff in supplements. It's not good for you, mercury and arsenic and this and that and trace doses. But if you take it enough, it adds up. Right. So I just I get real leery of the supplement game just because of that. Not big for supplements. Huh? What about creatine? Creatine has been proven right over time. Well, again, it's not regulated. Works. <laughs> Works. Might get some uh, steroids in it too. There you like go. John Jones. <laughs> there you go. John Jones. <laughs> Cutting up your steroids or your uh, Coke with it and then get some <laughs> failure drug test. Not so good. No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, supplements, they're not regulated. So my stance on supplements is always the same. Doesn't matter which one it is. Um, just supplements get hot 
and people are like, oh my god, we gotta take this, and everybody starts taking it, and then we maybe find out it's not what we thought it was, or, or this has some side effects that we don't really like, but you don't really find out until you take it for a year, and then, hmm, a lot of people taking CBD oil have fill-in-the-blank as to whatever condition, oh, there's right. cirrhotic liver, or kidney failure or whatever and it's like oh maybe we shouldn't take this yeah or the way they process it you never know because there's different ways to ingest it too yeah and that that makes it really hard for the epidemiologist to figure out you know what the problem is because there's no regulation as to how it's produced so you i mean people are taking all sorts of different types of cbd oil i mean cbd oil companies are popping up all over the place it's huge yeah it's 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 big it's hot right now and yeah, I get, I just get leery of it, and I, I'm kind of the, I'm like the not cool guy, you know. I'm like, hey, you know, maybe we shouldn't do this. I'm the kind of the bomb, the not so fun person. But you just give me the stuff, I'll try it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll let you know how it goes. I just tell we'll do our own people, studies. And, and you know, you've talked to me about stuff like this before, and I tell you the same thing. You can try it mm-hmm. at your own risk, and we don't know what it does. So, you know, if if you want to be a guinea pig for it, great. If 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 you feel it can help you, fine. But yeah. just be aware that we don't know what it does. So <laughs> I haven't had awesome inflammation results yet. That's what I was looking for. I don't know. But you don't have plantar fasciitis. So I don't have plantar fasciitis. That. <laughs> maybe it does. I mean, we don't know. So. I've been sleeping good too. I'm just saying. I yeah. don't know. So it could could it be helpful? Sure. I'm trying it. Coming from a place of disbelief as well. I'm not really big into anything to be honest with you. You know, one one the the thing I really have the problem with the supplements. I don't have an inherent problem with an alternative medicine or a holistic approach. Um, what I have a problem with is going to the holistic approach approach at the complete discredit of the biomedical model, which has saved millions of lives over history. Um, so when people say, oh, I just don't trust physicians. So what you're saying is I don't trust physicians that know exactly what's in the pill they're going to give you. I'm going to take this from these non-medical professionals who can't even tell you what exactly what's in the product or give you any research as to what it does. Well, they'll tell you what's in the product, but they can't prove it. They, they, like, they, they can't <laughs> tell you 100% well, these are the ingredients. They can't tell you because they don't know. Um, the physician can say, well, we're going to take this medication here. Here's your side effects. Here's a full list of what we found at, at to this point as to what your side effects are. Here's what it should do. Here's the biochemical means that it does it it's going to block this receptor or it's going to change this neurotransmitter or it's going to do this or that so at least you know how it works what it's supposed to do but people discredit that because they're like all the pharmaceutical companies have the physicians in their pocket some of them they do sure but i trust that a lot more than i trust this and i always look at the adjective alternative as exactly what it is it's an alternative care if this stuff doesn't work for you then sure, go to some of the supplement stuff. But, you know, I, I have people that come in and they're like, yeah, my knee, my knees been bothering me for about eight or nine weeks. Oh, what have you done? Well, I, I rubbed rose hips and bee pollen on it. <laughs> and I tried Arnica and I did this and I did that. And boy, nothing worked. And I, I did this, you know, like breathing exercise, spiritual stuff. And I tried to send my breath there. It's like, are you kidding me? You went eight weeks and did that before you finally <laughs> saw someone. And I had someone that did something like that. And then a week and a half later, they had no knee pain. It's not like I'm some sort of genius guru here. <laughs> I just did what I was supposed to do. 
And any of the other PTs that I mentioned earlier could have done the exact same thing and got the exact same result. And I'm like, <laughs> just go to the right person first. So I, I have a question for you. I'm not sure you can answer. It's a little bit out of your realm of expertise. Why aren't there studies on these supplements? I mean, you can find studies, but they're done by the company that actually sells a supplement. Why is there not something that's independently testing these supplements? You think it would be a big business? Um, many reasons. Um, just with treatments, the treatment comes before the research. So the treatment is born out of theory. And, you know, the universities are not going to pick up you know, grant money for this study on something that nobody's ever heard of. So people start using kinesio tape based on a theory, and then the research researchers come along and say, well, we want to check this independently. I mean, like Rock Tape will come out with their own research. Well, they're selling the product. Right. You, it's a bias right there. Yeah, the only actual human research I could find on CBD oil was done by CBD companies. Right, so now that it's getting hot, you're going to start to see grants come in or you're going to start seeing physicians that are suspecting that i'm seeing more of this type of response in my patients and many of them are taking cbd oil and then they start doing research studies on it. so you know a supplement will get out in the market like a fedra and then the research will come after it a treatment like kinesio tape or cupping will come out and get hot then the research will come after it and and say well this theory is correct or not Think there's any place on the market for like an independent company to do something like that, sell the results? Well, they do, but it's the the research game is just as corrupt and dirty as any other game because there's money involved and there's people involved. So, yeah, re research comes out all the time, and I I can't I'm, I don't know how these things get through <laughs> and get into research studies. I I look at some of the research and you know things that I I know really well research comes out and i just think to myself how in the world did that research get out because you you applied this tool completely incorrect <laughs> and then you're doing research on it like it doesn't make any sense but it does so it's just like the whole world now like everyone's political knowledge comes from facebook it's just like yeah. today i saw the thing about cortez mm -hmm. and uh it said you put this lady in charge of the uh, finance department and she has terrible credit and she's been evicted twice from her uh, apartment and really, someone just wrote that on Twitter, and it just built up, and that's where it came from. I fact-checked it today to find out, because I was like, are you kidding me? So then I looked it up, because it made me irritated. So I was like, oh, this can't be true. So I checked it out, and it wasn't true, obviously. And one of the things I tell my patients is you have to be the biggest advocate for your care. Now, you could go into a rabbit hole and spend weeks studying all this stuff, but you have to research your conditions. You have to research the pharmaceuticals you're being given. You have to research... The treatments that you're being given you know you put your trust in the medical professionals that are giving them to you but if you don't do your own research i mean you may find that this isn't the right thing for you so or you may find hey maybe i can have a discussion with my physician or my pt or my chiropractor about a cbd oil or you know anything else a, a topical like a arnica or something and say hey maybe we can have a discussion about this and you know exchange information but yeah, you have to fact check your own stuff and you have to, you're the biggest advocate for your own care all the time. So if your doctor is not willing to have a conversation with you, you should probably go see another doctor or try a different place, get a second opinion maybe? Yeah, second opinions are great. Um, honestly, no, no medical practitioner should be scared of a second opinion. They shouldn't be because if they came to what they feel is the right diagnosis with the tools that they have and the expertise that they have, 
then they're going to stand behind it. Now, if someone who's a more skilled practitioner or a more experienced practitioner or has better tools in a certain area comes up with a different diagnosis, that's fine too. Again, right. your, your end goal should be to help get your patient better. Um, now, a lot of people look at this the wrong way and they, they, they go get second opinions when they don't get the answer they want. And that, and you just let those patients go because they're not going to listen to you anyway. Right. Like you, you told them to do something they didn't want to do and they don't want to do it. So like, oh, okay. Well. I get nervous when the first answer is to go get a surgery. I always tell when someone says their doctor told me to get surgery, I always say, go get, go have someone else look at it real quick. Just make sure. Cause that's, it's a pretty, pretty big step. Yeah. An invasive procedure, a surgical procedure. The problem with it is, is you can't go back from it. Once you have it, now you have surgical complications and I mean, low back, surgeries they fail 50 to 60 percent of the time and when i mean fail i don't mean that the surgery didn't take i mean that the symptoms didn't change or they didn't go away to the patient's expectation that's a failed surgery so now you have to live with scar tissue and uh, maybe a fusion in the spine that you can't undo and now you've handcuffed your pt and your chiropractor so i always tell people exhaust your conservative care options and then go through your invasive options from the least to the most invasive um you know, if, if you're going to have, if you're just going to jump the gun and have surgery, there better be a really compelling reason to do so. The physician better make it, <laughs> make a really strong argument for that, that to happen, especially musculoskeletal. I'd also say if you're about to have a surgery, research people who have had that surgery and continue to do the sport that you like to do, whether it's jujitsu, running, surfing, skiing, whatever, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of uh, uh, people out that can and can't continue on after they have surgeries. Right. Me and Mustafa were just having this talk the other day about uh, getting his knees done, about getting artificial knees. He's scared he's not going to be able to wrestle anymore if he does it because he can't find any anybody that had artificial knees replaced being able to still wrestle and do jiu-jitsu effectively. I mean, they can still do it, just not. Yeah, a lot of people when they have level. when they have those type of surgeries, they lose that end range flexion of the knee, which you need if you're going to deep sit in jiu-jitsu or wrestling. I mean, you're sitting onto your heels quite often or you're having to bend your knee to terminal knee uh, flexion to pass through something or to step over and th that when you lose that that changes your game you know you know what's really scary for me is he's talking about getting a knee surgery because he can't move his knees and he's more flexible than me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not the picture of mo mobility <laughs> but you do well enough for what you're yeah. what you're trying to do and we've gotten you a lot better Everyone says, like, you work magic because they're like, dude, time doesn't even affect you. You're 42, you're in better shape than everybody. How's that happen? So how do you make me better than everyone at 42? Um, well, I I can't take credit for it because, uh, you know, I heard one time that if you take the credit for something, you also have to take the blame when it goes wrong. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, you know, you, don't, you, know, you want to be careful of taking all the credit. Um, no, you have some genetic gifts. I mean, you have a cardiovascular <laughs> system that is better than most I've ever seen. So, I mean, you just don't get tired. You don't get fatigued. You, you just don't shut down. So, you know, you have some of those genetic gifts. Um, you're determined, so you're going to push through something when other people would quit. And that's, you know, that has nothing to do with your musculoskeletal system. It's how you use it. Um, you know, one of the things I think for you is important is that you have embraced the idea that you need to keep moving or you will stop moving. And... You know, that happens with people when they retire. They stop being active, and then they die three years later. Um, you're in a position where, you know, 
I, I may argue that maybe you're doing too much of this or too much of that. You're dosing it too high. But the bottom line is if you dose it down to zero, you'll be a wreck within a year. <laughs> you'll be an absolute wreck within a year if you just stop being active. So keep doing your jujitsu, keep doing your thing, and just keep moving or else you will stop. I just want to say, like, everything you had me do, like the range of motion, flexibility has made me stronger, better athlete. I feel maybe not a better athlete than I was six years ago, but I feel like a more flexible than I've ever been in most of my life, mm-hmm. you know, um, discounting my injuries, obviously. Right. But I feel great. Like, when we work out, I feel good. I feel like I can hang out and be competitive in jiu-jitsu for another 10, 15 years. And I still want to beat up Tyler Collins one more time. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can't make you um, – I can't give you the genetic gifts that, you know, some elite athletes have that are just born with it. Like, like Pat Mix has genetic gifts that nobody can give you. Right. So, you know, we're never going to give you that, but can we make you the best version of you that we can do? And that's that's the point. And – Honestly, I, I always look at mobility first because if you can't move through a range, then your muscle can't contract through a range or it's going to stop contracting when it gets near that end range or it's not going to give you the force that it should. So you need to be able to move first. And I butt heads with people on this all the time. People are like, oh, no, you shouldn't mobilize a spine that's in pain because you can blow out a disc and this and that. It's like, oh, brother. I mean, it, you have to... You have to move things. Things have to, You have to have the best range of motion you can possibly get. It doesn't have to be full, you know, according to what the AMA says, but, you know, if I can improve dorsiflexion 5 degrees, that's going to help you. If I can improve your spinal mobility 5%, that's going to help you. And that's why I focus so hard on that. I just want to say if you're over, I would say, 32, 33, you should be seeing someone to help you with your flexibility, make sure your range of motion is good if you want to be a high-level competitive athlete. And uh, I see that, I think, personally, right about 30 to 32 is the age where we start, the injuries really take their toll, and we're not really doing enough to be flexible. And uh, in the last 10 or 15 years, I've been really watching it more and more and more, and I think that's about the age for our combat sport that Mm -hmm. the body starts going. I mean, sometimes we lose our chin before then, and that's something you can't fix. That's just too much head trauma, but... Man, I think 30, 32 is the age where we start really physically breaking down. We really need to start getting more mobility training in and really start working on ourselves. Well, this is one of the instances where the analogy of the human body to the car works. There are some instances where it fails miserably, but in this instance it works. When you, It's more important to do your maintenance on your vehicle as it gets older. I mean, you got your oil changes. you got to be tight on them. You can't, you can't miss them. You, know, um, you have to put the right fuel into it. You have to... You know, just take care of all the components under the hood or else it will break down and it will leave you stranded. So the human body is the same way. As it gets older, it needs more care. It just needs more maintenance. And I I always say that you get one body, it's the most valuable possession you'll ever have, and you can't can't replace it. So really take good care of it or else you you will pay the penalty for it. (laughs) In every way, shape, or form, it just sucks when when your body doesn't do what you need it to do. I like that. And uh, I'd really, man, trust me, go see a PT, go get it done. Do it before you start having problems. Yep. It'll really help you out. I always compare PT to dentistry, whereas, you know, you, you see your hygienist before your teeth start to hurt. You know, you don't see them because your teeth hurt. You see them so they don't hurt. And you see them so that your mouth is in the, the shape it should be in. So why don't we see our PT or someone who can look at us musculoskeletally at least every year? 
yeah, I definitely think you need a strength and conditioning coach and a PT, and hopefully you can get them all in one, but if you can't, you should definitely see both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot cheaper to see a PT once a year or maybe twice a year, have them look you over, even if it's a cash-based one. People say, oh, my God, it's so expensive. It's a lot more expensive to be laid up. Yeah. I mean, for whatever it's going to cost to see a, a cash-based PT twice a year, let's say let's say $200 to see them twice a year, uh, would you pay $200 to be in an optimal condition? Well, yeah, that's a steal. Well, dude, if you're a fighter or you're a, a jiu-jitsu guy, your body is your tool. you got to yep. keep that healthy. That's the most important thing you can do. Eat right, take care of your body. You know, yep. skill set's almost third, to be honest with you. Yeah, if, if, if you're you, going to do it for longevity. Yeah, if you don't have the platform to put a skill on top of, it's it's going to fail eventually. Unfortunately, it usually takes it failing before people learn that lesson. Yeah, so. trust me. I've I've learned the hard way. Trust me. Listen to me. Do it. <laughs> Get it in. Yep. Dr. Kroll's had to fix me after many surgeries, <laughs> all because I don't listen. And probably this arm soon, too. The way he's going, you're yeah, right. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. You're going to do it on purpose, though. So it just looks the same. As yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted to get that nice curve, That's man. Right. This one's all flat. It looks terrible. It's really strong, but it's terrible. You're going to enter a bodybuilding competition like 105 pounds. You're just going to cut down. I might. You never know. I do some crazy stuff. <laughs> yes, you do. What do you think about Fedor? We're old school MMA guys. If you don't know that about Dr. Kroll, me and Dr. Kroll started out watching MMA together from UFC 2. So Yeah, UFC 1 and 2. Or we watched UFC 2 and then went back and watched yeah. 1. Yep. So... <clears throat> Yeah, it's most athletes stay around a season or a fight too long. And I think when you look at the cases like Fedor or when the UFC has a mismatch in terms of age, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but don't jujitsu tournaments have a master's division? They do. And they have masters too, even. So right. masters, masters too. I don't see any reason. And I think it would be lucrative because a lot of people, I mean, some of these older fighters are still a draw by name. Just have a master's division and have a master's belt over 40. I've been pushing for that Fun. forever. I mean, oh Fedor, my God, Fedor should so never great. have been in there with Matt Mitrione. He should never have been in there with Bader. And it's not that Fedor couldn't knock them out if he hit them. But as the Matt Mitrione fight showed, they hit each other and Matt Mitrione got up. If that was 10 years younger Fedor, one, Mitrione wouldn't have gotten up. And two, <laughs> Fedor wouldn't have went down. Right. So it's not that Matt Mitrione's a better fighter. He's just... He was that better day because athlete. he's a better athlete and a younger athlete. So, yeah, I, I would really push for a master's division. Um, I, I the, it Fedor's time is just it's just come and that's all. He was great in his time and his time is over. We had uh, Mr. Moore on uh, a couple times on his podcast. Me and Ray actually he's one of Ray's friends, mm-hmm. and uh, he's trying to put together legends of the cage and have like just the legends fight each other instead of being like fed to the wolves and fighting. Uh, you know, younger guys, and then he's kind of like a flying liberal, so he's trying to give all the money to the fighters, so I don't think that'll ever come to fruition. Probably not. But, uh, <laughs> like, I think that's a great idea. I think it'll really sell, too. I mean, I'm not sure you could do it on a pay-per-view, but you could put it on an undercard of every one of the UFC cards yeah. or the Bellator cards. It's huge. Like, like I mean, Tito Ortiz, Chuck Liddell, Ken Shamrock, I mean, they, they still draw feelings out of people. People are still going to go watch them, especially some of those casual fans who kind of dropped off from the UFC. They remember those names and they're like, oh, I remember that guy. You get someone to watch it, but if you go out there and watch a slaughter, that's Tank Abbott against Frank Shamrock. There you go. That's what we need to see. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but Even I mean, today. But I mean, you could have a. I mean, I know this is 10 years past when we wanted to see it, but you could have a Fedor Couture fight now. Yeah. I mean, I think Couture would win, but. I don't know. He looked old. I just seen him do a video. He was uh, training with some Hollywood star. 
He looked old. Oh, well, maybe not. Then. Who he knows? looked like time really hit him. Like, they were doing a pummeling drill, and, you know, he's clearly, clearly much better than that guy, but he didn't look like Randy Couture. Yeah. Nobody beats the clock. Might be the Hollywood life, too, though. It's maybe. hard to tell. But, I mean, you know, Fedor fought Frank Mir, and that was a competitive fight for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, honestly, Mir, 10 years younger, would have put Fedor out with that punch. That's just how it goes. But they're in the same age group, so it's... You're kind of leveling the playing field. I think Ryan Bader might have beat him back in the day, too. Maybe. He looks phenomenal at heavyweight. Phenomenal. It's so hard to tell when he's shooting and throwing that crazy hook he throws. It's <laughs> like that modified, like, lead hook overhand. It's hard to read because he gives you that fake and the react. It looked, looked like Fedor didn't want to get taken down. Well, he didn't want to get taken down. He didn't want to get hit either, yeah, probably. Yeah, probably not hit, but he didn't seem as scared about the hands as he did about that takedown. And, man, he... Really made a bad choice there. Yeah. Or he just didn't react fast enough. He didn't react fast enough, and the hands stay down, the head stays mm-hmm. high. Anyway, that's how he fights, that's though. That's how he fights, though, <laughs> and that's not going to change. And, you know, when you're fighting someone that's a lot younger and faster, I mean, what, Bader's, what, 35? I think so. so 30, learn, 30, 32 to 36, somewhere in there. So it's, that's a significant difference yeah. from 42. And, yeah, you're, you're going to get hit, and you're going to go down. That's just and how it goes. the best he's ever been. He looks just phenomenal. Yeah, That's two. He knocked out uh, Mo, King yeah, Mo, too. Blasted Mo Same thing. And, mm-hmm. Same punch, even. Yep. This is fa- it's tough. To, he's such a good wrestler, dude. You can't not right. buy that fake. It's tough. It's a really good uh, attribute to have. I want, as long as I got you here, you made me think about it when you talked about it. Um, Chuck Liddell, you when we talked about the fight, you you said it looked like he had like a lower back injury you know, almost the way he was moving. When I saw him moving around at the public viewing weigh-ins, um, he just he looked like someone had fused his lower spine together. He looked that was the most unathletic. Now I've never looked at Chuck Liddell as a great athlete, but you know he he never had an overly athletic movement to him. But wow, he looked terrible. I mean, he just even walking around on that stage with Ortiz, I'm like, this, this is this is not going to go well. I mean, like there was a his lower spine was just locked down. Did you see the videos of him hitting pads before the fight? Mm-hmm. I don't know. If they released them now. I'm not sure they did before the fight, but he looked terrible. He's throwing punches. He wasn't even turning his back with the punches. Yeah, there's a complete disconnect between your upper and lower body, and I've told you many times when you do that, you lose a ton of power do and you a ton th- of speed. Do you think? Uh, that maybe he's not washed up. Maybe he just had a really bad injury. Or do you think he's just like don't know washed up, washed up? He might just be washed up. I mean, yeah. he might be washed up because he can't get through whatever this condition is. Right. But he he just looked as unathletic as I've seen any any high level fighter look. I mean, yeah, he looked, bad. Like, he looked awful. Tito looked good on the and I'm right. I, I, I told you that at the weigh in. Yeah, like, the day before we brother. talked about it on the phone. <laughs> You like, should have, we should have bet that fight. I'm like, yeah, this is this is just by athletic appearance alone, this is not good. And mm-hmm. yeah, Tito looked great. Mm-hmm. I mean, for his age, he looked great. And again, when you're in the Masters division like that and fighting people at your level, it's it's good. It's I fine. think they'll be entertaining fights too. To be mm-hmm. honest with you, mm-hmm. really, really do. Yeah, I mean, hell, I mean, Fedor fought Sonnen and. Yeah, we all talk about that flip attempt, and <laughs> it was an entertaining fight. It was good. Yeah, it's it's fine as long as you understand that. Hey, this person can't get in the ring and beat, you know, John Jones. Okay, like, just think, Chael Sonnen's like a legit fighter too, mm-hmm. just not a legit heavyweight. <laughs> yeah, no, that was. Yeah, they're they're a little light on the heavyweights in Bellator, so they were just firing people in there. Yeah, so he's got a big mouth; he can sell fights. Dude, his podcasts yeah. are really good. Yeah, so listen to him. 
Yeah, and, you know, I, I made the comment one time, and I'll go off on this little tangent, but I made the comment to another friend of mine that um, pro wrestling that I'm a fan of. Oh boy, is, <laughs> here we is, go. Is labeled as sports entertainment, and I think that's incorrect. I think it should be labeled as entertainment because the way I look at it, there's three levels: there's sports, sports entertainment, and entertainment. So sports is where your outcomes are not predetermined, but you don't care about your audience. You don't like. So we went. We did jujitsu today, and the people I was rolling with, it's a sport. But I didn't care about selling a ticket. I didn't right. care about being exciting. I didn't care about anything. So it was purely sport. Now, sports entertainment is when the outcomes are not predetermined, but you care about your audience. You care about moving units. That's the NFL. That's the UFC. That's the NHL. And entertainment is when it's not predetermined, or it's the predetermined outcomes, and you care about it. So, yeah, it's you want entertaining fights you are an entertainment you're a sports entertainment company so you you should be promoting that into your into your fights like if you can get ortiz and liddell and it's entertaining cool but and it doesn't bankrupt your company poor golden board it's but it's sports (laughs) entertainment and people i think get that mixed up they think pro wrestling is sports entertainment it's 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 entertainment it's it's nothing it's not different than a movie i mean the outcomes are predetermined in a movie right it's like pro wrestling is no different than watching Rocky. It's a movie with lots of stunts. Right. It's a movie that's an entire stunt. Yeah, it's, it's it's fixed outcomes. I mean, the injuries they get are are real, but it's still it's entertainment. It's like the circus. It's a show. Yeah, and they get hurt all the time, and they use performance enhancers, and I don't have a problem with it because there's no sport aspect to it. What do you think about the sport about when it? they use performance enhancing drugs? Well, again... You, now it just becomes a line of what do you deem illegal? Because everything is performance enhancing. Right. Do the equipment that you use, over-the-counter medications. So it's it's a cat and mouse game where the people who are trying to push the envelope get ahead, and then the people testing catch up to it. I like the old it's, pride days. Just you know take what? whatever you want, have it out. If everybody's on the same page, then you know it, it seems fine. I guess my issue with it. Is not so much with the fights or with the fighters, but you look at more organized league sports like football, where that type of behavior then trickles down into the high schools. Right. Where now you're getting people who, I mean, you don't make great decisions at 16, 17 years old. But honestly, if if roiding up for a year is going to get you the scholarship, even if you're never going to go to the NFL, now your college is paid for, you're going to do it. And if it's allowed in the NFL then that's a trickle down effect. You got to stop it somewhere. Right. So there's no easy answer to it. I like that was one of the best answers I've ever had in this podcast. I yeah. had a lot of, you know, guys really in the field, even educated guys in the field. That that might be the best answer I ever had for that. <laughs> Very good. I like it. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to trickle down. And where do you stop it? Well, I mean, you're never going to win the fight, but you got to have it anyway. It's it's yeah, you know, I, I never liked the I never liked the analogy of saying, "Well, you can't stop it anyway, so we should just legalize it." I mean, because you could apply that to murder, right? So it's like, well, you're not going to stop it, so well, I'll just make it legal. <laughs> so my wife would like that. There you go. It's very much against the weed. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I did read this from uh, not read it. I heard on the Ben Greenfield podcast. Uh, for all the fighters out there that are listening, I heard that continued marijuana use lowers your testosterone. So be aware of that. Hmm. 
Yeah, and then you got to take a TRT and get yeah. that all approved and go through that whole process, and you right. still get dinged for it. But it's only an effect while you're, it actually goes away when a metabolite gets out of your body or something. Hmm. Something about the way your body processes weed uh, suppresses testosterone. But as much as I know about the endocrine system, um, the glands that produce any type of hormone, if they're not needed, they atrophy and they don't come back. So. Oh, man, you guys, I'm not going to name any names, <laughs> but some of you might be in a little trouble. So, again, this is a little out of my expertise. I, I know some about it. But, yeah, one of the reasons when people start taking testosterone inappropriately, well, then, then they get stuck taking the rest of their lives because the glands have atrophied because the body says, cool, I don't need to do this anymore. It shuts them down, and then all of a sudden you stop taking testosterone, your your glands are like, I'm not coming back. Screw you. <laughs> what about uh testosterone replacement does that happen with that when they're monitoring your levels so you keep your levels at a normal level yeah i mean it's it still happens so you're you're kind of once you get on the road it, it's as far as i know unless something has changed in the physiology of it that i'm unaware of that's kind of how it works oh. yeah once you start using it you're so you're on trt for life once you start poor vitor if if you're if the glands have atrophied that mm-hmm. much yeah so Hmm. Oh, I was thinking about seeing if I could get on TRT, too. <laughs> well. Jeez. So I probably shouldn't do that, huh? I, that's not a discussion for me to have with you because right. that is not my realm of expertise. <laughs> I want to stay young forever, man. I don't want to get old. I want to keep training. Hey, you can't beat the clock. Uh, I just want to cheat the clock till I die. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> die die young and then you cheat it for a longer percentage of time. Yeah, exactly. If I go at 50 and I'm training till then, I'll be all right. There you go. Forced to be grown up, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that really matters. Uh, any plugs for your uh, business? Yeah, I mean, you can come to find me at Kroll Physical Therapy and Training on Facebook or KrollPhysicalTherapy.com is my website. Um, you can find all my services there. Jeff talks about me, I don't know how frequently on the podcast. Almost every podcast. Every every now and again he mentions me. So, yeah, I'm a cash-based PT, but also into fitness training as well. My big thing is to transition people from medical to fitness and to deal with people before they ever become patients. So I, I'm really a big fan of seeing people. I, I see people as infrequently as once a month and just get them on a path and let's try to make them not become patients for any long period of time. So I'm, I'm most, most of what I do is preventative. I don't, if, if I could run a business where I never had to see a patient again, that'd be great. Not for your business. <laughs> no, it'd be great because I'd be dealing with people who are not patients and never going to become patients because I'm working with them preventatively. I got you. Uh, the dog wants some love now, too. The dog is needy. I took uh, Dr. Kroll to open mat today. We've been training together. Two-stripe white belt on her caveman. How'd you do today? Got housed. You didn't get housed. <laughs> Come on, I, I'm trying to promote I, my I, teaching. I, uh, <laughs> I, I have kept up the streak of being the worst... Um, performer in every room I walk into. That's not true. But, uh, no, I, 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 to be perfectly honest, I don't train with a lot of frequency. Um, I train with you, and then I work on some stuff privately, but I don't roll regularly. So if maybe I would say probably our frequency is once every two weeks, I would say, or maybe one and a half weeks if you're going right. to average it out, that we see each other for a private lesson. And, yeah, I, I, my, my goal is to, and I was telling, I think it was Donnie, mm-hmm. this, I said, my goal is to, if I run into a normal person on the street who's a bit bigger than me, a bit stronger than me, that I can handle them. That's what I've always wanted to do. It's always been my goal in martial arts. So um, I think I can do that, but, you know, I always want to get better. I thought you did pretty good today. You ended up on top a lot, did good sweeps. Uh, I didn't see the submission to 
the lapel choke when I was rolling with Herbert. Mm-hmm. But uh, I thought you did really good, man. Your attacks look uh, like they need a little work. Yes. But getting them out, you did a great job getting them out, and that's basically what we've been working on. Yeah, I, I, I think the the idea that you're kind of going with is let's get into position. I, I've, I've heard before, is was it position before submission? Yeah. So you kind of have to get there before you can, can attack. So, yeah, I mean. I believe in having changed. Uh, right now my philosophy of teaching is I want to be able to get to a position and have some change off of there. And mm-hmm. that's what I was trying to get you to work on Donnie from uh, going to, like, the Americana, the one he pushes up, going to the arm bar. Mm-hmm. And then I have, um, next time we go, I have an arm bar uh, series that I want to show you, like, what to do when they sit up on you, what happened to you, exactly what happened to you today. Mm-hmm. When you go for the arm bar and you sit way too far, because that's a mistake you're making, you're giving them too much space for him to sit up. Right. You're using a leg correctly, but you had too much space between your hips and your arm. So he's able to turn into you and get his elbow to the mat. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have some answers for that, too. Okay. So we'll look at that when yeah, I just see you next. Growing and keep working. But, yeah, it's, it's a slow process for me, but I don't really care about belts. And, you know, I'm not addicted to it like a person who has to roll six days a week. And But I enjoy doing it. I like it because now you're uh, seeing, like, the attributes that I need to compete and what I get dinged up doing and... Right, I think it was gonna help you help me. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the point. You gotta you gotta learn what your people do, or else it's really hard to train them. Or so hard to work with them. If you are doing jujitsu, he's definitely the guy to see because he's gonna understand that you need to train no matter what's hurting you, and uh, he's gonna tell you not to do it, but then he's gonna tell you uh, this is what you should do when it's bothering you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know you've asked me questions as well. Should I go do this tournament? Should I go do this thing? And I always tell you the same thing. I don't, I don't tell you yes or no. I said, well, is it worth it to you? Yeah. I mean, here's your risk. Could you get hurt? Sure. Here's your risk of irritating this injury. Is If it's worth it to you, I'm not going to tell you to not go. I mean, it's up to your body. You're the one that's got to live with it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, I'm not the one in pain, so it doesn't matter to me. Look out for Dr. Crawl on the mat, too. He plays it like he's not that good, but he's a strong motherfucker. <laughs> You're strong, dude. You were pushing those guys around. They're both bigger than you. Dakota's bigger than you. I think Danny is, too. Uh, he's, uh, he said he was about 185. Everyone that's uh, add 15 pounds, whatever anyone says. That's <laughs> right. how it works in the gym. <laughs> it's like subtract uh, $10,000 $10, a year from whatever people tell you they make exactly. the job. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm making like 65 grand yeah. a year. Okay. You're making 50 grand. Yeah. Cool. Uh huh. Exactly. It's the same thing. He's big. He's he's heavier than you, for sure. Yeah. I rolled you both today. He's pretty strong. Yeah. I didn't roll you both today. I rolled him today, but I roll you all the time. Mm-hmm. So I know how you feel. You're strong, too. Sometimes. He's got good judo, though. He's got good trips. Mm hmm. And you, you held him off. And yeah. I don't know what Dakota was doing, but you got mounted him pretty easily, too. Yeah. yeah some, sometimes I blind squirrel thing. Right. <laughs> and to be perfectly fair, Dr. Kroll has some medical issues, so when he rolls for a little bit, he gets pretty loopy. Yeah. And he handled it pretty well today. Yeah. I You know, I, I get that blood pressure drop, and I run into some problems. But, you know, it's, they're, they're going to be there whether I train or not, so I might as well train to some degree. Right. You know, the best I can. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see it. The both the sweeps you gave up that I saw, were both when you're like sitting there, like, <sighs> I get to just see in your eye, like people think you're tired, but I know you're not tired. You're like, whoa, I'm about to pass out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's the same thing I would tell any of my patients. You know, just do it to the best of your ability. Yeah, and Herbert said you look pretty good, so that's all. I took that as a pretty good compliment. Uh, anytime Herbert gives you a compliment, that's a good thing. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. He might have just been being nice, so I'd roll with him. Maybe. <laughs> No, Her- Herbert seems like a pretty straight-up dude. Yeah, you tell me I, if you I, I like I like Herbert. And, yeah, that's the one thing I like about you is if I'm terrible at something, you'll tell me it. Uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what did I tell you? If, it, if, it's, if it's not bad, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not too bad. Okay, I know what that means. Yeah, if you ever hear that's not too bad for me, 
It's not very good. No, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> if there's no good in it, no good in my sentence, it wasn't very good. <laughs> With that, we're going to get out of here. All Caveman's right. Corner for North Buffalo Studios. Dr. Crow's in, in-house giving up a great, uh, I don't know, lecture, maybe? Just chatting. Just, Just good chatting chat. about stuff. It was almost a lecture. I'm lecturing this uh, this coming week a couple times. <laughs> yeah, if you can go see a lecture, man, I would... That one time I sat through your lecture, I learned a whole bunch. I would definitely yeah, love I, I to do, sit through one of your lectures. I do lectures at um, DUville and UB for their graduate programs for different things. I teach adjunct at Buff State. I teach anatomy and physiology. Um, I do some stuff for the diabetes prevention program at the YMCA, and I, I do some stuff for Erie Wimboses for their vocational program. So I get around and teach at a whole bunch of different levels. So I... I really like doing it. I I'm getting better at it. I think I'm pretty good, but I can always get better. I I always it, it drives me nuts when I give a presentation and I go home and I'm like, man, I could have done better. And then I blow it up and I, I do better next time. Are you familiar with Jordan Peterson? Hmm. He's a psychology teacher. He's like he's a big name now because he's against political correctness and social justice warriors and stuff. So he made a name for himself. But he has a ton of YouTube stuff. Hmm. It's just him lecturing. Cool. It's super fascinating. And he's trying to start like an online educational series. Nice. And uh, I'm maybe something like that for you too. That's a good, I don't know, good idea to get your name out there too. Yeah. If you could do it. Yeah, but I, it's something I like doing, so. Yeah. Definitely I mean, put on YouTube, man. Try to get some cash out of it. There you go. All right. We're out of here for real this time. North Buffalo Studios, Caveman's Corner, Dr. Kroll's a guest. We're out of here. Wasn't too bad. Wasn't wasn't too bad. I'm always leery of the hot mic. <laughs> the K-Man's Extras. K-Man's Extras. That's the Easter egg. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you did awesome today, Roland. I was impressed. Thanks. Yeah. Dakota's going to think he's good now and got that bullshit sweep on you. Yeah. Okay. Don't matter to me. Hey, the way I look at it, if your opponent voluntarily stays in there with you, then you get what you get. <laughs>